What if you could be doing something smarter with your money that creates income now? If you're wanting to get ahead financially and enjoy greater freedom of choice, if you want a comfortable retirement and you know you'll have more choices if you can do more with your money now, if you've wondered who else is creating ways to make their money work for them and you want actionable ideas with honest pros and cons and no fluff, welcome to the Richer Geek Podcast. We're here helping people find creative ways to build wealth and financial freedom. I'm Mike Stoller, and in this podcast, you'll hear from others who are already doing these things and learn how you can too. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Richer Geek. Uh, we're happy to have Chad Willardson on. How are you doing, Chad? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, Chad is the uh, founder and president of Pacific Capital. And it is a fiduciary wealth advisory firm in Cali. And he's done a lot of things, uh, you know, a couple books we're going to get into. And we're going to talk about uh, financial freedom and and some of the differences between why he chose to be a fiduciary and not, uh, you know, a regular financial advisor. Uh, but first off, Chad, uh, you know, tell me about yourself. Uh, I, I see BYU on here. That's a, it's a good, you know, I know sports, so I can BYU is a good, good school. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We just had a quarterback drafted second in the NFL. Kind of cool. That is, yeah. So, so a little bit about my background. I grew up here in Southern California and I I'm a big sports guy. My family is all sports. So my uncle played at USC and then went to the NFL for 12 years on the Vikings. Um, so my family, mostly those basketball, volleyball. So I'd say basketball, volleyball, and football and surfing, but um, sports <laughs> for sure. We love the beach out here in Southern California, but we, we get out to the cold parts of the country and ski sometimes. Um, I'm married 20 years now. So we just celebrated 20 year anniversary and we've got five kids and I'm an entrepreneur. I'm yeah. an entrepreneur first at heart. My primary business, like you said, is a fiduciary wealth manager for entrepreneurs and high-income executives and their families. And the company is Pacific Capital. I wrote two books. One of them comes out actually in two weeks from today, September 14th. First book is called Stress-Free Money. And the second book is called Smart, Not Spoiled. So a little bit of a insights on how to teach kids about money and not to be entitled and to really be smart with money. So I know that's a hot topic today. It is. I, I'm people, you can't see it, but I, I, I kind of chuckled and giggled when <laughs> teaching kids not to be entitled, you know, it, that is, it's such a, a hot topic today. It, it's important to me as a father of five and also as a financial guy, because I, I've read the studies and preparing and writing that book. And it was like over 70% of, of adults in America feel that their children are somewhat spoiled or entitled. And so when I talk about why and what is it about these kids these days that makes them expect so much more. And, and a lot of it comes down to, they don't have an appreciation of money and they don't know the value of money and no one's ever taught them. The school system doesn't teach them school system doesn't teach them and frankly most of us parents aren't very good at it either so what i really tried to do with smart not spoiled was give 
basically like a resource guide of insights, stories, and activities, both from my own life and from clients and friends of like, here's some ideas of ways you can really help your kids learn about money and learn to be a little more smart and a little less spoiled. Yeah. And man, is that important? And not only for the kids, but even for our generation, it's, you know, we kind of, especially those that have an entrepreneurial bent, you know, because our, well, my parents, I'm talking about basketball. I went to Bobby Knight University. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, So I graduated Indiana University. Uh, My first onesie when I was born was a little IU (laughs) outfit. And uh, there's two things I knew um, when dinner was and when an IU basketball game was. Those are the two things that mattered when I was a kid. I love it. But, you know, in, in teaching these kids financial freedom, you know, um, what does that really mean? You know, when, when you, we dive into it, financial freedom to me means the absence of worry and stress about money. It's not really a number. I think people get too caught up on how much do I have? Then they say, mm-hmm. well, I want to have $1 million by this age or 5 million or 10 million or whatever the number is. But really it's more about the absence of stress and anxiety about your financial life, that's freedom. And perhaps you might say it's the absence of dependence on a particular job for income. Like I don't need a paycheck anymore. I don't need to clock in from eight to five because I'm financially free because I've got investments that pay passive income mm-hmm. that provide for my entire lifestyle. So I don't have to go to work if I don't want to. So a lot of people, we help them plan for that moment I prefer to help people plan for financial freedom, not retirement at a certain age. So it's not about, well, when I'm 67, I don't have to go to work anymore. It's more like, you know what? I need this much passive income cash flow per month to really be comfortable, to travel, to do whatever I love to do. All right, let's plan for that. Let's invest for that rather than just picking an age and waiting out, waiting out our time essentially to uh, putting in our time until we get to that magical birthday. Let's just figure out a plan to get there sooner if possible. Yeah. And, you know, something that some of my my mentors have have taught me is kind of changing the mindset of, well, I need X millions of dollars. And they said, well, do you? Because when you retire, do you need this exact same lifestyle? Are you going to need two cars? Are you going to need this? There are some expenses that you're not going to have. And there are some things that you can kind of simplify once you do retire. Is that something that you, you also kind of get into kind of saying that, you know, this is your plan now and this is your lifestyle now. Is is it going to change? You know, do, do you talk about that type of thing, kind of changing the mindset? A little bit? Yes. And I would say the caveat is maybe there are some expenses that weren't there before. So Mm -hmm. I think people typically, if they stop working in their 60s, they spend a lot more money during that decade because they're getting out all their, they feel like they were restricted for so long in their job or whatever. And now it's like, I want to travel. I want to do all the fun things. If they're married, they say, I want to do all the things with my spouse I can do because I was working. Mm And it's, it's a really go-go phase of life. And maybe in their 70s and 80s, it's more of a slow go. 
And then the 80s and 90s, it's more of a no-go. So you're not spending as much, but maybe you're spending more on healthcare at that point in your life. So I think the factors I would look at is what's going to change in my spending habits and my lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to count for inflation. Inflation is a big deal. Not to get political, but our government's rate of borrowing and spending is, mm-hmm. is unsustainable the last 15 to 20 years, but especially the last 10 years. Um, so inflation is a big deal. You've got to plan for everything to be, get a lot more expensive. I think there are many, many factors that go into preparing for a successful next transition phase once you're done with work. So that will look different for each family. I've planned, I've literally planned for somebody's cash flow to be $150,000 of spending a month for this couple, which was crazy because it's the highest number I've ever had to plan for. And then I've got another guy who's embarrassed about his overspending since his wife died and he spends 1800 a month in Southern California. And he's embarrassed and he's ashamed. And he says, my wife would be so unsatisfied with all the golf I'm doing and all this stuff. And I'm like, he spends less than most people are spending on their, you know, on their rent out here. So, yeah. so it really varies. It's re- it really varies and depends on the situation, I would say. And you, you probably do a mixture. What, what kind of diversification uh, are, are you looking at with them? Um, it, when you get into your 60s or 70s, is it more of something that will um, just give them money? Or, is it, you know, or, you know, I'm sure instead of uh, once you, you start looking at uh, people that are getting a little more up in age, you go from something a little more conservative instead of risky. Potentially. Yeah. The, the phrase I like to teach people with is that concentration, investment concentration builds wealth and investment diversification preserves wealth. And so I'm personally responsible right now for managing about $830 million for other people. And that's on my shoulders and it's a burden, but I look at each individual client differently based on what their needs are. And so some of them are in the building phase and some of them are in the distribution phase. And ideally we can create seven different sources of income for them before they fully retire. And some of that might be in their investment portfolio. Some of it might be with a rental property or, or multiple. There's, there's a lot of different variety of options for us to look at, but I talk about it in the first book, Stress-Free Money. I'd love to see you have seven sources of income before you completely throw in the towel at work. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do think that's, the risk out, so. that's very important. Uh, you know, I have a lot of, not a lot, I've had, financial advisors, fiduciaries that will say, you know, everything is stock market based or everything is insurance based. Uh, But, you know, it's like, you know, there needs to be, that's that's not really diversifying that much. Um, A bond is not a diversification from a mutual fund and the stock market and, and maybe a whole life insurance policy. You know, those are extremely important, but I love that you said, get some people into maybe rental portfolios, yeah. or, you know, yeah. passive I, I incomes. The, I'm not the financial guy that's going to tell you to put all of your money and financial stuff with the financial advisor. Cause I think that's, that's a very biased opinion, biased advice. I'm, I, myself and my wife, we invest in real estate. 
-hmm. We've invested in personal real estate where it's homes with uh, families renting. We, we have investments in some apartment buildings. We have investments in some medical complexes actually out in um, Tennessee and Georgia, Ohio, places not even close to us, but it just, it's, it's a way to spread the risk and have a variety of investments. So you shouldn't only be in stock market and insurance investments. Yeah, that's, that's great advice. Now, what are some of the top mistakes that people make that, that you find? It's a good question. Um, the chapters in stress-free money are really the seven primary obstacles that people have to overcome to find financial freedom. Um, I'll, I'll touch on a couple of them. I'm just going to actually literally pull the book out right now. The, I think these seven obstacles you face, no matter if you if you make a hundred thousand, there's no difference in the obstacles you'll face. It just might be at different levels, but the first one is no clear goals. So no clear goals means you really don't know what you want. You're just kind of making investment choices or financial decisions as you go along, but you don't really have a specific goal in mind. So that to me is the biggest mistake because it's, it's that famous quote that says you can't hit a target you can't see and you can't see a target you don't have. So imagine going into the forest and you've got your bow and arrow and you want to practice a target range for archery, but you have no targets. I mean, you're just, you're shooting into the wind and that's what people do financially. They just kind of shoot into the wind. So really you've got to determine financial goals. And I like to ask people to add the phrase so that to help determine the purpose behind your money and behind your goals. So if you say, I want to have 10,000 in passive income from rental properties, I want you to tell me so that what? Well, so that I could help pay for my mom's medical expenses, because I know that it's, she's going to be in a home and have nursing care. And I'm, I'm, that's really the goal behind these rental properties. Okay, great. Now you have a purpose behind your goals. And when you have a purpose behind your goals, you're going to be a lot more motivated to make things happen. You're going to be a lot more driven to really put the strategy in place to succeed. So the first problem I see people having and the mistake is they don't have clear goals. They have a hodgepodge of financial collected items along their way. They've got some life insurance. They've got some IRAs. They've got some stocks that they bought. They've got just some random stuff all thrown together, but it's not coordinated. It's not working towards your goals. It's just kind of a collect a bag of rocks that you've collected along the way. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah, that's perfect. Um, another one I put is, is a biased advice from financial salespeople. Uh, well, that's one of the chapters I kind of hit it head on. I spent nine years at Merrill Lynch. I learned a lot, made some good friends. It was eye opening to me to be on that side of the curtain in wall street and just see the, uh, the focus on profits for the bank and profits for the, the big corporation versus what's in the best interest of the people. And from the very beginning, I've got, I got into this business because I enjoy helping people. And I know a lot of people say that that sounds like lip service, but I like seeing the progress. I like really mapping out a plan and seeing someone get better. I'm the kind of person that loves those before and after pictures of the people who like lose a ton of weight and get fit. Like I love seeing that. It gets me excited. So I want that same result for the financial lives of the clients I help. Mm 
And when I felt like the banks were pushing too much for their own good, I, I had to leave. And that's mm -hmm. why I left in 2011 and became a fiduciary. So I think incentives and conflicts of interest and biases are so widespread in my industry that there's a lot of distrust yeah. and it's unfortunate. Um, I, I just wish that people would be more transparent in financial advice. We turn a lot of clients away and I'll tell them, you don't really need us. Like, I don't think you need a financial advisor. Here's just a couple of things I would suggest you do, or we'll do a financial plan for someone and they want us to invest their funds. And I say, you know what? Let us just give you guidance because you paid for financial planning, but we're not going to charge you the 1% fee and manage your investments for you because really it's, it's too simple of a case and you don't need to have a financial advisor investing your money for you. And so I'd rather do the right thing and believe karma will come back than, than just basically gather every possible person as a client that I can. And I think that's helped us in the long run to attract you know, a lot of growth because we tell people the truth regardless if it helps us or not. Yeah, that's, that's very, that's very smart. And it, it, you know, financial advisors have that stigma um, and, you know, whether it's no fault or your own, because there are some fantastic people out there. And, and, you know, I, I had one earlier in my career that insisted that I did something instead of what I wanted. And I found out as well, it's because he got something on the front end and the back end, you know, For and, sure. and, it, you know, it kind of jades you. Um, and, you know, that's why I love, and, and we should talk about this. And that's why, you know, I, I like the fiduciaries. Um, before you go on to a third point, um, you know, you keep talking about that's why you became a fiduciary. What is the difference between fiduciary yeah, a fiduciary is legally bound to always put your interests first ahead of their own, even when they lose compensation because of it. A fiduciary is transparent on all costs, on any conflicts of interest. A fiduciary doesn't make money from other sources of the investment process. So no one pays me except our client. It's not like I could ever choose one investment fund over another and make more money. That's not even possible because I am a full fiduciary. There's a lot of fake fiduciaries who they kind of wear two hats. Tony Robbins talks about it in his book, Unshakable. He says, beware of the fake fiduciaries who have two hats. They have the broker dealer hat or they're a commission salesperson. And then they have the fiduciary hat and they pretend to have the fiduciary hat on while they're giving commissioned advice for a product that's going to make them, you know, a sales commission. So a true fiduciary, there's literally a lot fewer of us than you'd think. And it's less than 4% of the entire industry in the country. So um, it was a wake up call when I was at Merrill Lynch, we won this huge client. It was like a $42 million nonprofit endowment investment account. And it was a six month bidding process and presentations. And I was so excited. It's really new in the business, probably 2004. And at the very end, they said they chose us and I was celebrating. And they said, you, you just need to sign this form that you will serve as our investment fiduciary. And so I took it back to management at Merrill Lynch and they said, we can't sign that. Can't sign that. We're not fiduciaries. That's, you know, 
we're going to do our best, but we're not allowed to legally sign that. And so I went back and I explained it and they said, well, I'm sorry, we're going to have to go with uh, the second place firm because we're looking for someone who's totally independent in all the investment advice. And that stuck with me. And so I'm, I'm <clears> proud to be able to say that now and look people in the eyes and say, you know what, everything we do, there's no conflict of interest. There's no bias. There's no limited menu. And we can, we can recommend whatever we believe is best for you. And you can know that we have no strings attached. Yeah, that's, that's good. I mean, that's, that's awesome. Um, what, what's some, what's another top mistake to people? Yeah. Another obstacle I put was uh, focusing on the wrong number. So I mentioned it a little bit earlier about how people get caught up in the, I guess the two numbers people focus on, they, they focus on what's the total amount of investment assets I have. Mm-hmm. If I add up all my financial accounts, what's the total? Okay, that's one number people focus on. Another one is, what was my investment return for last year or last quarter? You know, did I make 9.6%? Did I make 11.5? Did I make 15? What did the S&P make? You know, that's what people focus mm-hmm. on. But the real number you should be focused on is your own cash flow. What is my investment passive income cash flow versus what are my expenses? So that's the number that really matters. It's not, did I beat the benchmark this quarter? It's more like, okay, my goal is to spend 15,000 a month in retirement. And based on my investments today, everything that I own, stock market or not, real estate, private business, social security, pension, whatever it is, it's like, my passive income will pay for 9,000 a month right now. And my goal is 15,000 a month. So what can I do to bridge that gap of 6,000 a month? Mm-hmm. So knowing your cash flow and getting focused on that number to me is so much more valuable than just what's the nominal value of my portfolio when I add everything up. Yeah, that's man. I, you know, that's, that's really good. And you don't get a lot of people saying that, you know, it's, it's great great advice and again it's all in the book um and it, it's just it, my mind is now thinking <laughs> i'm going through the calculations <laughs> in my thinking. head you've got, got me thinking, thinking. yeah which is really good um so l- let's hit one more because i i have to have one more i mean they're just so good yes so one thing I would uh, shoot, I mean, it's hard to pick between the last few, but I'll go with uh, taking on too much risk or not enough. Mm-hmm. So what I most often see is that clients come in and we unearth their goals for them and they, we get them to basically open up about everything in their financial life and what concerns them, what they're excited about. And when we look at how they're treating their money, it usually isn't aligned. It's usually mismatched. And so what I find is they've either taken too much risk or not enough. And I share stories in the book of, you know, a retired couple, Southern California near San Diego, a couple million in in retirement accounts. And they've decided to, to get involved in a couple private investment deals, a private real estate deal, a private business deal. And unfortunately they all went sour. Uh, the, the allure of super high returns on those private deals was going to really enhance the retirement. But what they didn't really calculate or measure was the risk if those things went bad. And unfortunately, they all went bad. And it took 
their retirement lifestyle took a major hit because the cash flow was no longer being produced that they needed. On the flip side, I see people with significant amounts of money just sitting in cash at the bank. Mm-hmm. They're not taking enough risk. And what I will say is in this day when our government is printing and spending, when they're printing and spending, you cannot be saving. You cannot be sitting with money on the sidelines. So inflation is breaking 10, 15 year records right now. I think an inflation report this summer showed a 5% plus inflation. Uh, Interest rates are very low. And so if your money is sitting here earning zero or 0.1%, that money is guaranteed to lose value every single year. You're not taking enough risk. You need to be growing that money. So you may not know the right person to help you invest it, or you may not know what to invest in, or you think there's about to be a big recession. So you're going to sit here and say, I got to wait and time the market and wait till the next big crash because the <laughs> stock market's high, real estate's high. So I'm not going to do anything until I see a big recession. And the problem with that is you can't time it. Mm-hmm. And so what we tell clients is you got to plant investment seeds. You may not dump the whole bag of seeds out, but you got to start planting seeds because inflation and the current environment means your money needs to grow. And even if you're not going to take income from your investments today, you're going to take income from it in the future. That's the only two reasons you have it. Mm-hmm. So it's either cash flow out today or cash flow out in the future. So if it's cash flow in the future, we're going to grow it. And to grow it, you've got to put it to work. Mm-hmm. You would never hire a bunch of employees and have them sit on the couch and say, just sit on the couch and I'll let you know when it's time to work. I don't want you to start work yet. Just kind of sit there and I'll pay you to sit there. But that's what we do with our money. And so taking too much risk, I see that a lot, get rich quick stuff or taking not enough risk. So I would say that that would be one of the obstacles and one of the mistakes I see. Are any other warnings that you can share about investing? I would just say, be wary of things that sound too good to be true. I know that seems obvious, but Um, nothing is guaranteed and nothing is technically risk-free. So Mm -hmm. if you think about it, the money market rates are basically zero. Bonds are paying very little, very little income in bonds. So if someone comes to you with a 15, 20, 30% return opportunity and is overly confident about it, hide your money, run for the hills. Be careful (laughs) because- It doesn't make sense if, if we're in such a low return environment that someone would have extreme secure confidence in something that is, they're telling you is very low risk. <clears throat> it's not low risk. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you can't do it, but just be, be careful about the get rich quick schemes and the things that look too good to be true. Mm-hmm. And don't put your entire nest, nest into <clears throat> something that you know, you never know, you know, these startups or, or some of these things, it, it, but you have to be willing to lose it. Correct. And, and not have it hit your financial stress. You know, you're, you're playing that much. And, and, you know, that's why a lot of us do the accredited investors. And we have the 40 or 45 pages of, of the risks involved and, and things like that. You know, when, when you look at syndications or you look at diversifying, um, you know, it's all really good stuff. Now, I have to, what is, and I'm looking down through your your one page here, co-owner of the Draft Sports Complex. <laughs> you know, again, we're hitting on sports here, and I'm like, what yeah. is this? It's a different, uh, it's one of my other businesses. Like I said, I'm an entrepreneur. So 
we opened up a sports facility a few years ago here in Southern California that hosts youth sports and tournaments and travel sports. So it's about a 75,000 square foot building that's got basketball courts, volleyball courts, cheerleading, um, training and weightlifting and things like that. So, and then we own the club teams the adidas and nike teams that practice here so basketball mm-hmm. volleyball cheerleading so yeah. all five of my kids play sports and i i just really wanted to be in the sports business as well so that's something that some friends and i started yeah that's very cool yeah we had a lot of when, when california was locked down we had a lot of uh, the traveling sports teams yes here in arizona yep and it was wild i i have hotels and we had um two different teams staying at our hotel and they were, uh, I think they said four miles apart in San Diego. No way. And they had to travel all the way to Chandler, Arizona, just to play. (laughs) And they were staying at our hotel. Um, but you know, that's, that was where it was good for us and, 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 and bad for California. Um, before we go, I, my God, I mean, we could, spend another hour um doing this it's been fantastic um the first book stress-free money that's kind of what we talked about with the uh the the seven things that you need to look at and some of the mistakes not to make yep and your second one that is for children it was named which what was it again smart not spoiled the seven money skills kids must master before leaving the nest. So really for parents, grandparents, mentors, coaches to really learn. And I'd say teenagers would love to read it, college kids, but it's to, to give you the resources, tools, and ideas of how to teach kids not to be spoiled, but to be smart with money. And I know stress-free money is right now it's on Amazon. Yes. You can buy a copy there. And the other one is coming and will be also available on Amazon here in a couple of weeks. Correct. And how else can people find you? Um, you can follow me on LinkedIn. Got about 32,000 followers there and I'm active daily. Mm-hmm. And you can go to pacificcapital.com, sign up for a goals conversation or sign up for the free newsletter. Fantastic. And what I wanted to hit on is people can um, go to pacificcapital.com and just talk to you, have a, have a consultation, have a, yep. Um, yep. because I'm sure there's a lot of minds churning right now as they listen to this. Um, Chad has been absolutely wonderful. Uh, we may have to have you on again, just to talk about some of the other stuff. Love to. Um, but thank you very much uh, for spending your time with us at the uh, Richard Geek podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Richard Geek Podcast, where we're helping others find creative ways to build wealth and financial freedom. For today's show notes, including all the links and resources from our show and more information about our guests, visit us at www.therichardgeek.com slash podcast. And don't forget to jump over to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. Share with others who could benefit from listening and leave a rating and review to get the podcast in front of more eyes. I appreciate you and thanks for listening.